Good evening and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to Amsterdam Talk Season 3, Episode 14. Tonight, we're coming all the way from Wisconsin with my guest, Miss Dana Miranda. How are you doing tonight, Miss Dana Miranda? Hey, Rod, I'm great. All right. So <laughs> Dana is a certified educator in personal finances. And um, we chose to do the show tonight because it's around tax seasons. A lump sum of money is going to be going out. So basically, Dana's going to help us, I guess, in the words of 50 Cent, get rich or die trying. Uh, <laughs> We're going to go that way. Before we get started, Dana, tell us about yourself. Yeah, so I am, uh, like you said, a a certified educator in personal finance. I'm a financial educator. Uh, My background is as a writer. That's where I started. And so I started learning about personal finance through working in personal finance media, uh, writing for a bunch of different personal finance blogs and sharing financial advice um, and learning as I was doing that. Um, and last year or 2021, um, I launched healthy rich, uh, my own personal finance site to share a different perspective, um, in the space and share some stories from people whose voices we don't hear often in the personal finance space. Okay. Some of those, um, uh, contributing writing, you contribute writing to Forbes business inside mm-hmm. of New York times. How, how yeah. was that like? Um, it's kind of an interesting thing as a freelance writer, um, to get into those bigger publications, um, because it kind of builds up over time. It's sort of like when you reach any milestone that you thought was impossible at one point, um, when you get there, it suddenly feels like when you kind of, once I became good enough to get into those publications, it didn't feel like such a huge mountain to climb because I had been writing for 10 years. I'd been developing my expertise in personal finance for like five years at that point. Um, And so what 10 years ago would have seemed like a really kind of tricky publication to get into, um, just felt like the next step kind of at that point in my career. Um, But yeah, it kind of feels just like any other freelance job. I've written for um, blogs that are run by a single person and I've written um, just one thing for the New York Times and I contribute regularly to Forbes and Business Insider. Um, and they all feel pretty similar, um, except that sometimes more people read <laughs> um, some okay. of the bigger publications. So was like any awards for any of these publications that you submitted in? Um, nothing, nothing for anything that I've written so far. Okay. So, so I fingers guess, crossed. Okay. We'll see. So, well, you'll get that. So I guess let's yeah. jump right into it then. So what is this, what is this budget? Explain the budget culture to us. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the name I came up with to kind of identify the dominant paradigm in personal finance, um, in media and education. It's the way that we talk about money, the way we teach money. Um, And I chose the name budget culture because it's kind of a parallel to what I see in diet culture. Mm -hmm. If you're familiar with that in just the way that we um, talk about food and bodies and health and wellness um, and exercise and that in both instances there's this real focus on uh, discipline and restriction and individual responsibility um, and kind of ignoring all of our kind of individual needs and the nuances of um, what's going on in our lives and in the space Um, so budget culture really ignores the 
lifestyles and histories and identities that we bring to our experiences with money mm-hmm. um, and just offers up just sort of one set of rules for how to make as much money as possible and hold on to it without considering like what our individual goals might be. Um, Oh, she went out. I don't know what's going on because I can't seem to hear you. I can still hear you. Okay, okay. Yeah, we're good now. Okay, we're okay, good great, now. great. All right. So I heard the last part where you mm-hmm. said, you know, started state um starting up for you know for your budget goals. It's mm-hmm. kind of like you know the diet, so you want to have a goal. So for someone who just wanna uh I guess start a goal from them from, you know, heal financially is, as you stated, you know, you want to heal financially, what would be the first thing that they can do? So I always start with thinking about your relationship with money. Um, A lot of people um, kind of pick goals that are like handed to us. Like you have to pay down debt or you have to make as much money as possible. You have to take on a side hustle. Um, But I think start with understanding your own relationship with money. So think about, Um, the things that maybe you heard from your parents growing up, the experiences that you had with your family and in your community um, that kind of affect the way that you think about money. So the way that you think about um, your relationship with work and and your responsibilities around work, um, the way that you think about using um, public resources and community resources, the way that you think about debt. Um, Try to kind of get oriented to all of that um, and and sort of think about your, a lot of people call it a money mindset. It's a, um, sort of that idea. Like, mm-hmm. what do you think about money? What is it, what is like being rich mean to you or what does having money mean to you? Um, and um, what, how do you treat kind of managing money and making money and those kinds of things? Um, so start there so you can understand like what sort of the beliefs that you have around money and how those are driving the actions, you know, that you're taking. So if you have um, a belief that being rich is evil and that people, you know, who have a lot of money are like necessarily got that, got that way um, through something, some kind of bad, bad actions, then you might be um, inclined to like avoid going down that path Um, And you might be inadvertently kind of setting yourself up with this, um, like a scarcity mindset or a poverty mindset and um, turning down opportunities or limiting yourself in some way. So understanding where that mindset is coming from can help you um, understand the kind of the next steps that, that you need to take. And it can also help you set your own goals for your situation instead of just kind of taking what you think you should be going after. So maybe... about and it looks like an amazing goal but what you realize actually is that right now what you want to do is like have time to spend with your family or on hobbies or something and so working a lot and saving a bunch of money and being super frugal doesn't help you achieve that goal um so starting with kind of understanding what your relationship is can help you make all those kinds of decisions for yourself Okay, so you understand, you find out what your your relationship is with money, mm-hmm. and you find out it's a horrible it's a horrible relationship. It's horrible. You 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 just cheat on it all the time. 
So would you line would you align would somebody align themselves with you to say, okay, I need to have a better monogamous relationship with this money mm-hmm. instead of just doing just living willy-nilly and just spending everything. So they will come to you and you will be able to set them on track. How would you do that? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't work with people one-on-one. Um, I focus more on education, so offering information about sort of how our financial systems work. Um, so I spent a lot of time working in personal finance media and a lot of the like education that we offered was kind of doling out those rules that I talked about, um, under budget culture. So saying like, this is the right way to save, or this is, um, you know, the right credit score to have and all these kinds of things. Um, but I focus more now on educating people about how our basic financial systems work. So what does it mean actually to invest? Like what is, how does your 401k work? Um, how does a credit score work? What factors go into that? And how does your behavior affect those factors? Uh, What are the consequences of having different kinds of debt? And what are your options when you have those kinds of debt? Um, And you talked about tax season. Um, I'm not a tax expert, but I do like to dig into that a little bit just to give people information that can sort of reduce that stress. Um, So I like to start there with focusing on helping to sort of demystify these big systems and um, help people understand how they work so that we can make decisions from a more empowered place. Because if you don't know the consequences of your actions within these systems, and if you don't know how these like various systems are discriminating against people for different reasons, um, then you don't know how to navigate them and, and how to be successful within them or in spite of the ways that they're designed. Okay, so now you stated investing. So basically, that's basically mm-hmm. making your money work for you. How mm-hmm. would you start someone off of that who has no idea? What would um, you say at a seminar, since you don't do one-on-one, I guess it would be at a yeah. seminar or something in that, or publication. Mm-hmm. How would you do that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I always recommend, and again, not individually, um, but just kind of as a general um, rule, people, almost no one should be investing in individual stocks, like picking individual stocks, which is um, if you're using like um, investing apps like Robinhood and and those kinds of things that sort of claim to democratize investing, Mm. um, it can be really tempting to play around with those. And I've don't think there's anything wrong with it, putting like a little bit of money into that. But as far as like a wealth building strategy, most experts recommend against that kind of strategy because um, it's been shown over and over again that individual investors and even like stockbrokers, like professional um, professional investors mm-hmm. can't beat the market as a whole by picking individual stocks. Most of the time um, they'll either um, perform underperform the market or perform about the same. And so you're better, you're best off putting money into what's called an index fund, um, which is a basket of funds. Um, it's a type of mutual fund, which is a basket of, sorry, stocks, not funds um, that just has, equities from a variety of companies. Um, And so what that lets you do if you put your money into that is it it follows the performance of sort of an index as a whole, which is a good representation of the stock market as a whole. Um, So it it um, spreads your investment 
across all of that and doesn't count on you to make specific picks and, and make a guess about like how Apple's going to perform over the next few years and that kind of thing. Um, so that's a that's a good place for anyone to start if you're putting money into an investment account. Um, if you don't already have a retirement account, that's actually usually where most people start um, is to either put money in an IRA if you don't have access to a workplace retirement account. If you do have access to a 401k at work or um, some workplaces have a 403b, um, talk to whoever is your representative for that, somebody in HR, and figure out to make sure that um, you're, you're putting your money in there. That tends to be um, kind of the simplest way for most people to get started. And it, it's, it's a pretty, tends to be a pretty safe way of investing for the long term as well. Well, you said over th- about under, you know, underthrow the market or, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't want to say overthrow or pirate it, something that happened last year with the mm-hmm. whole read that GameStop thing. Mm-hmm. So like, is that a way I'm guessing? Cause it was whatever they did. They just, GameStop shot up from like $17 a share to almost, I think it was like a hundred and something within like a couple hours. Mm-hmm. So would you call that like somebody just saying, okay, we're going to try to get rich. We're going to overthrow the stock market. They just did it. It looked like a few people getting pretty lucky by kind of playing the market, um, something like that. So that is, it's definitely an anomaly. That's why it made headlines. <laughs> Um, and it's it's exciting to see. And uh, some people, you know, really made out well. Um, and you, and we see that in headlines around cryptocurrency, too. Not lately, because the numbers aren't quite going up the way they were for a couple of years. But um, there are some instances where um, people get lucky. Someone figures out one thing. And if you get in at just the right time, you know, it kind of works out um, in the short term. Um, For a lot of people, that kind of thing doesn't work out in the short term because you don't get the timing just right. And that's what's pretty that's what's pretty tricky and why most experts recommend sticking with what is a lot more boring kind of investment and index fund um, because um, because it just it it it's a lot more stable and there's uh, historically kind of shows a lot better chance of um, long term having those better returns. Um, I think of individual stock picks, like whether it's something like that through through GameStop or even through Robinhood or cryptocurrency investing. I think of that a little bit more along the lines of playing the lottery, um, especially if you're not an experienced investor, that it can be fun to do. And so if you've got money that you're willing to lose, um, that you want to throw in, um, then go ahead and kind of gamble it on those. It can be a fun thing. And so Like if it's something that's entertaining for you, go ahead and do it. Um, But it can be really risky. And um, I don't know the situation with the GameStop thing, because that was uh, one particular stock. But something like investing apps um, also can be costly just in fees and things like that, because you're usually investing a pretty small amount of money compared to the amount that you're paying in fees. Okay. Well, no, because that was rather actual, you know, intriguing last year, mm-hmm. you know, just how the stock just rose in a matter of hours. Yeah. Um, like you said, they had, you said they could have got lucky, but it looked like there was more planned than anything. <laughs> they said, we're just going to go ahead and just do this. Mm-hmm. And it just rose all the way up. So like you said, it's just like playing a lottery. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess you can't play if you can't, I mean, if you don't play, you can't win. 
Right. So, if you if you don't play, you can't lose either. <laughs> right. So you would say more the more safer bet if you're going to do it mm-hmm. as far as just like the uh, you said the IRA, uh, your four hundred one k and was four hundred three b. Yeah, which is like a four hundred one k, but for usually nonprofits and I think sometimes teachers, um, it's it's just a different kind of investment account, uh, retirement account. Yeah, I think those okay, two so- things just kind of have like different purposes. So for long-term wealth building, um, experts generally recommend that safer, kind of more stable strategy. Um, If your purpose is that you have kind of a bucket of money that you are willing and able to lose if things don't go right, and you like sort of the risk or the thrill or or whatever, um, then that sort of, um, then that's just sort of a different purpose. It's I just wouldn't think of it as your sort of like long-term financial strategy. Okay. All right. So, so now we're going to go to that, you know, we got viewers watching and which most of us went to college. So I know we're going to talk about some debt now, <laughs> you know, All right. yeah. most of us went to college. So there's some type of debt in there. So how mm-hmm. do you like manage your debt and deal with debt? So I, um, I kind of love to talk about it because there's so many like strategies out there for, the right way to pay off debt. And there's a lot of people debating the right ways to pay off debt, the most efficient ways. Um, And I kind of like to step outside of that conversation entirely and start with whether or not your goal is to actually pay off debt as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially when we're talking about student loans, if you have federal student loans. So the situation that that's the situation I'm in, my Um, student debt is all federal student loans. I don't have any private loans that I took out for school. And that's a pretty safe um, kind of debt to have because it comes with so many options essentially to not pay it. Um, And so my goal with student debt is to just keep the burden, like the monthly burden as low as possible so that I can live my life and have the experiences that I want. And, um, And so I use the options available to me. So I have an income-based repayment plan, which reduces the amount that I have to pay. Of course, for the last two years, federal, three three years at this point, federal student loans payments have just been on pause and not accruing interest. So I haven't made any payments in that time. Um, but before that, depending on my income, I had payments between $0 and $300, you know, depending on what I was making. So it offers a lot of relief um, and Student, so student loans then also come with the option for um, forgiveness and cancellation in various situations that you can't get with private loans. Um, so if that's the kind of debt that you have, um, I think the question then is the same thing I was talking about before, which is like understand your relationship to that and your relationship to money in general and your goals, short and long term goals to kind of understand um, is paying off that debt as fast as possible, your top goal and why. Um, For some people it is, some people just don't like to have debt lingering out there. They don't like the idea of of owing money. Um, If it's something like credit card debt or debt that's gone into collections, then you might be dealing with the stress of like having calls from debt collectors um, and that might be something that you wanna stop. So there are, you know, everybody's situation is different and there wouldn't, tell anyone, you know, one right way or another. I just, that's um, not paying the debt is sort of what works for me. But um, I think start with understanding what 
your goals are and then figuring out how to make that work within the systems. And again, that's understanding like what are the consequences of having that debt and what are your options? So you really have to understand how those things work. So what are normally your options when you have that? I mean, just any type mm -hmm. of debt. I mean, we just won't talk student. We could just talk credit mm -hmm. card. Like, What are your options? Yeah, it's different depending on the different debt products you have. So like federal student loans are, like I said, one of the safest kinds of debt you can have. It has sort of all of those relief options. Credit cards are very different um, and personal loans kind of in the same way. Those are that's debt you borrow from a private company. They don't offer as many relief options. They're going to look for ways to get that money back. Mm -hmm. um, but credit cards in particular, they require like a minimum monthly payment on your balance. So they're mm -hmm. not looking for you to pay your full balance every month. Um, the minimum monthly payment will be like one or 2% of whatever you owe. So it might be something like $20. Mm -hmm. um, you couldn't pay that and stay in good standing. You'll just accrue interest over time. So that debt will continue to grow the, the full balance and you would just be paying it off over a long time. Um, but uh, you can also consolidate debt. So if you have like multiple credit cards, or if you have multiple personal loans, or you have some mix of different private debt, um, you could take out one big, essentially, it's a personal loan is to that consolidate good? that. Is that good? It can be. It's so if your goal is to, it, it can, I guess, actually help you achieve a couple of different things. So what it does is it pays off those lenders, and then it just gives you one payment every month. So you essentially just take out new debt that's easier to manage. So you don't owe multiple payments every month. You're not dealing with multiple lenders or and multiple interest rates and all that. So there's a possibility of getting a lower interest rate when you consolidate, um, which can lower your monthly payment. So the burden that you have each month would be less. Um, you could potentially uh, get a longer time to pay back the debt. So then your monthly payment might be lower too. So it might cost you more in the long term with interest, but it would be easier for you to manage month to month. Um, and then in some cases, if you're lowering that interest rate, uh, the amount that the debt costs you is lower. And so you could pay it off faster. So doing that can help you achieve a lot of different types of goals. The one that I really like is that it just reduces the stress of it because you're only managing that one payment. Okay, so reducing the stress of having multiple mm -hmm. payments. Okay, yeah. so, um, damn, I had a question in my head. I had a good one. I had a good one. Okay, so with the debt. Okay, so with mm -hmm. um, since now we're in 2023, which I noticed, I don't, I don't know preferably when it started, but I'm guessing 2021, 2022, we have these new companies as far as like Affirm and Afterpay and uh, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, Shop. But basically, mm -hmm. I guess they were the forms of reducing layaway from out of stores mm -hmm. now would you cons and, and it's, it sort of look like it's on the lines of actual credit cards because you're paying something once a month or every two weeks or every three weeks however it goes um for a person that i guess i would say a person that that's having setting financial goals but you want to have something would that be a way that mm -hmm. you should go using those I, options that's a great question um I haven't used them myself, so I actually don't know the details of the products other than I know that it's a buy now, pay later, um, and you pay for something in installments over time. Um, and so in that way, it's kind of like using a credit card. I don't know what the cost of that is. Do, do you know, actually, have you ever, have you used one of these products? Is there like an interest or a fee to use it? No, um, some of the ones, I haven't mm -hmm. used it, but some of the ones that I've actually uh 
red, just red on it. Um, mm -hmm. There's no interest. It's basically just yeah. saying, hey, we'll give you the product and we're going to take away, we're going to take the money out your bank account every two weeks. Yeah, that's what um, I thought. Okay. So now, I wonder if they're, if the companies are making money off of data or something, then if they're not actually charging you. Um, but yeah, that's, it, they're becoming really popular because they allow you to make those kinds of purchases without, uh, without accruing interest or having credit card debt. Um, mm. I don't know the impact on your credit score. So now your question is actually making me very curious and I'm going to look into it. I'm going to write that down right after we get off this call to, to look into it a little more. Cause I think um, it's a really, they're very interesting products. Um, and so it's something just, it's essentially a debt regardless of how it impacts your credit score or, you know, your, if it accrues interest or how you repay it or anything mm -hmm. that it's, it's it, the decision that you make to use it. I would say approach that like you do any debt, which is understand how the product works and understand the consequences of taking that out. So if they're going to automatically deduct money from your bank account every two weeks, then um, you have to understand that certain amount of money is going to be taken out. And so you have to know how that impacts your cash flow for the next, you know, few weeks or months or however long it, it takes you to pay back. Um, well and so what i was going to say because yeah. i don't mean to cut you off but that's what i was going to say is for a person mm -hmm. that uses that and you just go happy and you just start using it yes. and it's just coming out 30 dollars here 30 dollars on this tuesday 15 dollars on this friday mm -hmm. 20 dollars on this on this monday like you can't control it because it's all coming out at one time it's just coming out on different days yeah that so not being able to sort of look ahead and see that and prepare for it could be really uh, challenging. And unlike a credit card, that's all those payments are happening at different times. Um, I would also look into whether those services report to credit bureaus, mm -hmm. because if you're going to be borrowing money, um, it's in your best interest to be doing that from uh, product or an organization, a financial institution that is going to report your activity to credit bureaus because that can help your credit score. So using a credit card, um, if you're keeping up with payments and, and able to pay it off, can help improve your credit score because that's what lenders and credit card companies want to see is that you're using those products. So if, you're, if you don't have a credit score and you're using something like Afterpay um, in place of it, then you're kind of, you're losing that benefit. But again, there's all kinds of factors to weigh. So it's just a matter of like understanding how each of these products work. So you know what your options are um, because maybe something like Afterpay feels safer for you because you know those payments are being made automatically. And because you know you're not getting something like a $2,000 or $5,000, $10,000 credit limit that you could just run up and not be able to pay off. Um, so you just have to know yourself and your goals and your needs to decide which of those products makes sense for you? Well, I mean, if just just me taking a random guess, I would figure more people would be consensus to using that than actual credit card because of the mm -hmm. actual interest rates. There's no interest rate right. as far as, you know, as I know. Mm -hmm. It's just, hey, every two weeks we're going to take this money, which is kind of like the downfall because in the credit card, you're going to say, I could just pay it each month. But as you stated, you know, that fraction of that, whatever you paid that $20, but you're still doing the interest rate. And I'll tell you mm -hmm. one of the worst financial moves I've ever made in my life right now. So this was probably when a Nintendo Switch had just came out. 
and I couldn't find it anywhere, and I wanted mm -hmm. one so bad. So I went to Finger Hut and got one. <laughs> so um, you are you familiar with Finger Hut? I'm not. Finger Hut is a place where they uh, where you buy things not at retail price. Mm -hmm. So you know the retail price of the Nintendo Switch at that time was three ninety nine. And Finger Hut lets you do these pay-as-you-go programs. So I wind up okay. after interest rates and all of the other stuff, I wind up paying $530 for this thing just mm -hmm. because, you know, I had to have it. So it was a place that said, yeah. hey, we can let you do these monthly payments, but it's going to be like 17% interest rate for you to get it from mm -hmm. us. So instead of just mm -hmm. paying actual retail value and waiting for it to come back out i could have actually just waited but i didn't i just had to have it so i just had to double pay for it so um that was one of the things And that if someone is willing to sell it for, did you say three ninety nine? Yes. Um, was the like retail price? If someone's willing to sell it at that price, then you're a sucker if you pay anything higher than that. But for you, it sounds like the the value of having the product at that time was worth the extra money that you paid because you are pretty aware of the amount that you paid for it, right? So oh, I can't say yeah. whether or not that makes sense for you because you're looking back in re retrospect and maybe not happy with that decision. But a, a big part of my message um, is to help people sort of feel better about those kinds of decisions because your only goal in life is not just to optimize every financial move you make. Um, and I, there are a lot of reasons that you might make a less optimized uh, move with your money so that you can have positive experiences and enjoyment in other areas of your life. Right. No, I don't put any extra value meals on my credit card. <laughs> no, 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 no. What I've, what I've done now, um, I actually took one of those rewards cards out probably maybe about three, four years. And then I just pay all my utilities and all my bills on it just to rack up points to go fly places yep. and get uh, mm -hmm. rewards as far as like for gas, hotels, uh, I said flights, things of that nature, which nobody ever told me. I wish I'd known about this 15 years ago, but yep. I yeah. just wind up just doing that now. So, yeah, that's great. That's what it's, you know, that's the benefit that you can have when you understand the systems and how the products work too. So if you can take out a credit card and enjoy the benefit of the rewards um, without paying any of the interest because you pay off those balances every month, then you're really winning on the credit card companies because their favorite customer is someone who carries a little bit of a balance so that they pay interest um, and, and they can make more money off of you that way. If you're not paying any interest, um, they're just making a little bit of money off of fees when you use your card. Um, and they're giving you rewards. So you're really getting a benefit there. So you're kind of beating the system a little bit. Well, 
you know, I, I, I try to, but, you know, sometimes yeah. I don't even use the card, but I might say, okay, I got to use it because, you know, if you don't use it, then they'll lower your limit if you're mm -hmm. not using it. So I'll just go to the gas station and just get some gas and just yep. pay, pay that whatever my gas bill is for that day and just pay it right back off. So um, what I was going to say, so, okay, so now you got a new person that's get ready that needs credit. What mm -hmm. is the secure card, the most safest card to build credit, or would you just find, go to a, another lender to get a mm -hmm. card? I love the secured credit card. That's how I rebuilt my credit after um, having a really low credit score from having, you know, building credit card debt and not paying it off when I was younger. Um, I got a secure credit card that used a $200 deposit. Um, it gave me a $200 limit. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to use it a little bit. Um, and that was then reported um, on my credit report. And so I was able to build my score that way. And then after a certain amount of time, they also raised my credit limit too, without any more of a deposit. So showing that I could use that. Um, they raised my credit limit. Um, and that's happened a couple of times because I've shown that I can use the card and pay it off and have continued to be able to do that. So that was the easiest way for me to do it. But I had to have that $200 deposit to be able to give at the mm -hmm. time. And so I was able to do that because I had a full-time job and a steady income. Um, in, you know, five years before that, when I didn't have good, good credit, you know, the, when I had, um, built up the credit card debt that I hadn't been able to pay off that hurt my credit score. I didn't have the $200 that I could put into um, a deposit like that. So it's a, it's a great product and a simple way to build credit. If you have that money to put into the deposit. Um, there are a few other products that are coming out now too. They're um, like credit builder loans, um, a couple of bank accounts. I know online bank accounts, um, Chase, or sorry, not Chase, um, Chime and Varo are online only um, bank accounts that each have a credit builder option. So they offer a credit card that basically acts like a debit card. So you put money in the credit builder account and you use that card. So it can be a really small amount, like $20. Um, so you don't have to come up with a lot of money to get started. And um, you also don't face like a big limit. So you can just spend basically exactly the way you're talking where you would just go out and maybe buy gas for the day. So you can start to um, have some credit activity so that they will report that and um, you could show some positive credit activity to either build your credit score from scratch or rebuild it um, if it's if you have a low score. Okay, so okay, so you, we talked about having a low score. Say. You don't have any credit. You're just 18. You know, when yeah. you're 18, and we all been through this, you're 18, you're walking through the mall, you can, you can get this, you can get this. One mm -hmm. of my first mistakes was I took a card and I just maxed it out from two hours and I bought a cell phone. But this eight, mm -hmm. a person now that's 18, like without the secure card, what type of card would you tell them to actually? Mm -hmm. Or well, thankfully, to get type of um, credit card. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, for someone who's 18 now, there are a lot more protections um, uh, under various acts that happened since the Great Recession. Um, there's some limits on how credit card companies can advertise like that. I know that they can't 
um, advertise and let you sign up for a credit card directly on a college campus. Um, I don't see them. I haven't been to a mall in a while, I guess, but I don't see them around like malls and retail stores in the same way that they were um, when I was when I was younger, the way that I would see it on TV when I was younger. Um, so hopefully you won't be faced with like that kind of decision. Um, instead, you know, we can all just take out student loans at 18 and it's a much higher, a much higher debt. Um, so that's a, a different, different kind of debt that we still have to work out. But um, I, I think that a secured card, so building debt from zero from having, or sorry, building credit from zero from having no credit score, um, the process is pretty similar to building it um, if you have a low credit score. So you could use the secured credit cards, you can use the credit builder products. Um, another simple way, if you have um, parents or someone else in your family or a family friend or something, um, if you can become an authorized user on their credit card, or you can take out maybe a small loan together, um, a credit card tends to be kind of an easier um, product to take out because you're not committing to a certain amount of money. You only have to pay back what you use as opposed to if you actually take out like a personal loan, you're taking out all that money and have to pay it back. Um, but if you can become an authorized user and mm -hmm. they're using the credit card and um, paying it off and, and not um, running up a balance, then you also get credit for that um, activity. So you don't have to have access to the credit card. You can just become an authorized user. So you're not sort of tempted with the balance if you don't need that to spend. Uh, but you it will still um, help build a credit report for you. I don't know if we can be here because it wouldn't look again. Okay, so I guess we should talk about credit scores and houses. So I was like, the, it, I pulled out this business, you know, for. Can you hear them? You're, you're cutting out for me. So I'm not quite, oh, you're can looking you a little clearer now. Now I can hear you. Come on. I'm cutting out. You're clear now. Hold on, let me, I'm clear now. So I want mm -hmm. to talk about credit scores and houses. Yeah, okay. Like what is it now that you need? What is the score that you need now for a home? So that is, it What's can vary from lender to lender. Um, a credit score of about 720 or higher is usually kind of um, what experts are recommending if you are looking to take out a mortgage. But a lot of lenders um, will lend to you at about 680 or so or higher. Um, all of that, you know, it just kind of depends on what factors like make up your score, what your income is, all the things that the lender is looking at. So no, almost no lender will give you like, here is what our minimum credit score is because every decision that they make, they're going to make on an individual basis. Um, but the, that general kind of rule of thumb that people look at, um, what I usually see is around 720. Um, 
but you would have to kind of talk to your lender and see what you can learn there. Um, but there are also options for a lower credit score. So like an FHA loan um, is a government backed loan, um, federal housing administration loan. Um, it's, it's secured by the government, um, but you take it out through a, a private lender. And those are usually good. I think I, I want to say it's 580, but I, I can't remember right now. I haven't looked into those in a little while, but um, down uh, for credit scores down into the 500s, um, you could potentially secure a mortgage and usually at a lower down payment because they're also for lower income people. So a little payment. So my, I mean, well, um, yes, no. So we covered that. You said in the five hundreds and the six hundreds and the seven hundred, mm -hmm. seven twenty is basically where they want you to be at, as far mm -hmm. as that. Um, yeah. And but it, it, it's all based on uh for your long career. All right. Okay. Yeah. So, and it's kind know, of, you know, with a mortgage or any thing, loan, even if you're, oh, sorry, oh, you're cutting sure. out for no, me a little bit. So I think we're, <laughs> um, even for any loan for mortgage or any loan or credit card that you take out, if they make it available to you at a lower credit score, you're usually probably going to be looking at a higher interest rate um, in return. But it, that that is something that can give you access to that product if that's where you are. Possible. Well, I mean, I shouldn't say possible. I know it's true. I left this one. See if this one. And here we go. Is it better now? All right. That's a lot clearer. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know what's going on, but I was saying, right. you know, that was a. Basically, you said, a, you know, a lower interest with a, a lower mm -hmm. payment with a higher interest rate. A low, if you have a lower credit score. So um, if you, you know, if you're kind of searching like credit cards or loans or mortgages uh, for a low credit score, mm -hmm. the lenders that will make that available with a low credit score usually do it in exchange for a higher interest rate. So you're going to end up with usually paying a little higher interest, but it makes the product accessible to you. So what are you looking at? Like, what would you consider like a high interest? We're going to take a car. What would be a high interest on a car? Uh, 4%, 5%, 6, 10, 13? Um, I took out a car loan. Um, what was it? Maybe seven, eight years ago. And I had an 11% interest. So it can mm -hmm. go pretty high. That's very high. Um, I actually don't know what is average for a car loan. Um, but I know that that is high. It's usually in the single, single digits. Um, but car loans are kind of moving into that like subprime zone that housing was, you know, 10, uh, 10, 15 years ago. Um, and so they're lending to people with a lower income, lower credit scores, but kicking up that interest rate and the length of the loan. So it'll take you longer to pay off and you'll pay more um, to borrow it. But for, again, for me, um, in my situation, I was very low income when I borrowed that loan um, and needed a car to, uh, to work. So it ended up being worth it for me, but I knew what I, you know, I knew what I was getting into. I knew that that was a really high interest rate. 
uh, mortgages right now are around 6%, which is relatively high from where they've been, but it's everyone is kind of getting about the same rate. Right. Because I know the average car payment now is $700. $700 a month? Yes, regardless okay. if it's new or used. Wow. That's really high. Well, but I know that the price of cars is, is high right now, too. So that's kind of the situation we're in, unfortunately. Yeah, it's this whole inflation thing. Mm-hmm. It's definitely this whole inflation thing. Um, so anything else you want to tell us before you go? What about this healthyrich.com? Mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, I didn't get a chance to get in there. What oh, that's all right. .com? Yeah. Yeah, so um, that uh, Healthy Rich is the financial education company that I'm um, started in 2021 kind of as a content site, um, launching the financial education arm of it this year to work with organizations and companies that want to help make money better for people. So um, helping them incorporate teaching personal finance in different ways into their programs. And so if you go to healthyrich.co, that is, um, you can follow our blog so you can see stories from contributors that share just kind of their experiences with work and money um, to help get different perspectives um, on these stories. And then I've shared some of my own experiences and um, insight and advice uh, as an expert too. always just trying to take kind of question what I'm seeing um, in mainstream personal finance media and the budget culture messages that I see in financial education and kind of question those and offer a different perspective. Okay. So as far as like everything we spoke about earlier, like, do you, cause I know a lot of guests that come, I can take these off, I don't need them on anymore. Um, a bunch of guests, a lot of guests that come on here, they throw like, I guess it would be different for you because they have mm-hmm. type of group, Facebook groups. Like, do you just mm-hmm. do seminars for people? Like you just say, Hey, I'm going to set up on Facebook this week and we're just going to talk. Do you do that as well? Um, I don't, cause I don't work with individuals. Usually I work with organizations. So the best way to stay in touch, um, follow my work is to go to healthyrich.co, which is our Substack newsletter. So mm-hmm. you can subscribe there for free, um, and follow those stories and, and get the, get the advice that I have there. Um, and if you work with a school or a university or a nonprofit organization, um, that offers some kind of service um, to community members. I'd love to talk with you um, about how we might incorporate personal finance education um, into the work that you do. So um, that's how I how I work with communities is through organizations so that the end participants um, can get the financial education for free. Okay, I didn't hear the last thing because it looked like we got cut off. That's all right. All right. So, all right. So, um, so I can find your publications on healthyrich.com as well? Uh, yep, healthyrich.co. Um, that's, the, that's the best place to follow. And then if you're interested in the work that I do with organizations, um, you'll learn about that through the newsletter too. Um, but yeah, you can sign up to the Substack for free to follow uh, follow news about the work that we're doing and um, hear stories from our contributors. Okay, but this is a personal question, and, and this is a personal question that's really pertaining to me right now. And I'm not sure if right. watching is going through this or anybody will hear. Mm-hmm. I used to work for a different organization, a different state. Mm-hmm. So that money's just that money that I, you know, 
incurred occurred right there um, in that state. It doesn't it's not accruing anymore because I haven't worked there in a year. So mm-hmm. would it, and I where would it best would I do to move? Where should I move it? At? Yeah. Do you mean uh, money in your retirement account? Yes, it's not yeah. a thing anymore because after mm-hmm. a year it stops securing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, because I don't know all the details and because I'm not a financial advisor, I can't um, tell you exactly what the right move is for you. But I do know that if you move jobs, um, regardless of if you move to a different state or you just move jobs um, within the same state or city or anything, if you move to a different company, um, there are options to do what's called a 401k rollover. So you can move the money that's in the employer sponsored retirement account into either a new um, 401k if you're starting at a new company that offers that or into an IRA that um, is just an individual retirement account that lets you um, keep it and keep the tax advantages of having money in a retirement account um, Mm -hmm. and then also continue to invest it so that it would um, continue to be invested and, and potentially accrue returns. Like you said, it's, if it stopped doing that, then you're missing out on that opportunity. Um, and so usually that's pretty simple to do if you have access online, um, to your account with the old 401k, you can just, um, look into the options, like look at their FAQs or contact their customer service and ask about a rollover. Um, that's a really common thing. So they'll know exactly how to do it. A lot of accounts that are managed online, it's just, okay. you just click a button to start the process. Um, and they might send you a check or they might just make a direct deposit into the new account. Um, and you just um, then can have it in the new account and just make sure that it's being invested, that it's not just sitting in a cash account. Um, and then you can start having getting the benefits again. But um Generally, it's advised to put it into another retirement account, like another 401k or IRA, because then you keep the tax advantages that come with that mm-hmm. um, because um, because you won't you won't pay taxes on like the investment gains um, in that account. Um, and you won't pay taxes on the money that you're contributing. You get a tax deduction for any money that you put into a retirement account up to a certain amount every year. So there's a benefit to keeping it in there. If you pull it out um, into cash and use it for some other reason, you can definitely do that, but it'll come with a tax penalty. So you'll be charged a fee in addition to paying taxes on that money as income in the year that you take Mm -hmm. it out. Okay. All right. Well, that's sound advice. But I'd like to say thank you again. But before we go, we have this thing that I normally do at the end of the show. Mm -hmm. It's called I Be Damn. And, you know, we get date bad hard story dates sent over to us and mm-hmm. we read them off and you know okay. you would be the judge on how would you handle this, this all right even tell me where they were from so um so basically says she went on a date she went on two dates with a guy where the conversation was like getting blood from a stone but i was lonely and i lived in a small town second day he drove and then he drank a lot seemingly on purpose so he wouldn't be able to drive home this was before uber and lyft and he begged the shared cab back to mine. I agreed. And he spent the whole night crying in my bed about how I was going to leave him. I broke it off. He then looked up a performance I was in later that year in college and showed up. When the show ended, he waited around to say hi, like friends and family do. 
and then interrupted me while I greeted people to say, so what's that? So that's what you've been, what the hell? So that's why you've been so busy. And then he stormed out. He drove 35 minutes and sat through a 90 day, a 90 minute play for that. The end. <laughs> oh my goodness. Is there, is there a question? Is there advice no. seeking in there? <laughs> it's just the advice what you would do. Like first oh, man. he went out. She wasn't, I guess she wasn't enjoying mm -hmm. the company. He drank a lot. So he stayed in the house on the second date. He cried in a bed, said he was yeah. <laughs> going to leave. And, and after a year, he shows up at the college, sits through a play just to say, so that's why you've been so busy. Uh, doesn't that's, make sense That's challenging. He sounds like a, a toxic person. It sounds like the person writing in hasn't kept him in their life at all, which is, which is probably a good move. That's probably how I would handle that as well. Um, if he shows up, walk away, which it sounds like they're doing as well. That sounds, that sounds like the right move. That sounds like a challenging person. Um, I, I wish the best for him. I hope that he finds what he needs. Cause it sounds like he is not having an easy time in life either. Right. <laughs> oh, that's our show with Miss Dana Miranda today. Um, she said you can yeah. reach healthy, healthyrich.co. But if not, if you can't, if you don't remember it, you could always reach out to me and I can just give you the information. Um, or I could just send it to her myself and she could link, do whatever, especially for the non-profit non organization if you work for the school system. Mm -hmm. She'll be able to help you out. So I know we have a lot of school teachers that watch the show. So remember, healthyrich.co. Um, and thank you for joining us all the way from Wisconsin. Yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, thanks for sharing your evening with me. I will. Now, tomorrow's a special show tomorrow that we'll be back tomorrow with the Valentine's Day show that didn't happen last week. It'll be tomorrow. So I'm actually going tomorrow. There's going to be a monogamous, a monogamous relationship with a poly relationship. So there's going to be a young lady and her boyfriend, and there's going to be a young man and his two girlfriends. And we're going to talk about how to experience love tomorrow at eight o'clock tomorrow again. So I'll see you tomorrow for another episode of Amsterdam Talk. Thank you again, Ms. Dana, for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Rod. All right.